so excited to start the series, kick it off with you today, called Joy to the World. And uh, I do actually apologize right off the bat because, you know, anytime you put together a sermon, uh, you basically are going to have to be tested in that before you can preach it. Thus, you walked out to your car this morning and there was snow everywhere. <laughs> That's my fault. I own that. Um, next December, I will put together a series, something sunny days, overheated, something like that will be the series, the drought of Christmas or something. But uh but that's on me. But here, if we think about joy, you know, it's not a lie and it's not an exaggeration and it's not a push uh, for us to say that uh, we all need a little more joy. How many are with me? Uh, it, there's nobody in here right now that says, you know, I just every day I just I just go to bed at the end of the day. I just can't get that smile off my face every single night. So much joy left in the tank. I walk up and down the hallways at work and I just the one thing that's on my nerves is all that joy that I have. Every single day, I just can't. No, that's, that's not American culture. We binge through Netflix, and we zone out. Because why? Because of just the stress and the anxiety and the pressure and the dull. Are you with me? Yeah. I mean, it's just, and so we just consume, and we hide, and, we, and so Netflix. And the way that we even just talk about the good old days. Oh, if and you look back on Christmases and, and all that stuff's real. I'm not against any of that. Oh, but do you remember that one Christmas and the kids? And, and we are always looking back at where the joy used to live, don't we? Yeah. Oh, the joy back here. And it was there. It was that season. Or it was this time. that That's where the joy was the thing. Uh, I even look at like just the way that they sell supplements to us. Or if you even just look at Starbucks and the way that Americans consume caffeine. It's literally like the vitamins are so that you can have energy and you can have, they don't say joy, but it's so that you can be alive and active. The commercials are like, win the day and have a enjoy. Like we're constantly pursuing something that's going to make us happier, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, if I could just figure that out, then that would be the thing. And, uh, and then for some of us, it gets really real when you start to head into the holidays and you start thinking about, meeting with people or being around family or being in that situation. I mean, to the point that like you get sweaty and you get anxious. It literally physically affects your body at this time of the year because there's like an absence of joy because of circumstances and because of trials and tribulations and because of things that get put in front of us that steal our joy. The enemy is a great joy killer. Scripture says that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. One of those things he's trying to kill and steal is our joy. Because the scripture says that it's the joy of the Lord that's our what? Strength. It's our advantage that we have as believers is this ability to walk and live and thrive in joy despite our circumstances. We have this ability to, to have joy. And so uh, it's so important for us to be able to, to, to look at joy and what does it mean. And, and the Christmas song is, is even fitting. Like that was the message for the people that, that Messiah coming to earth means joy to the world. Finally, he, he, they've been waiting and praying and believing. The message of Christmas is that, hey, guess what has come to this Look what's shown up on the scene is what I'm trying to say is is he's here and he's for us. And guess what? It brings joy into our lives when we can live in Christ. So we want to talk about for a little bit. And so to talk about it, uh, sharing some of this content with with somebody yesterday 
and talking about how the, the book of Philippians, okay, it's only four chapters, it's written by Paul, and uh, the next several weeks you're going to hear uh, about the book of Philippians. And the reason we're going to talk about Philippians is because uh, it's the book of joy. So when people say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for that, you say, hey, these four books of the Bible written by, by Paul, the Apostle Paul, they're, rent, they're written, they're penned, they're sent literally for people here thousands of years later to sit here and have an understanding about God's joy in our life. So, so, so these four we'll, we'll take a look at. And so what's amazing about them is they're short. You could read these four books. There's four chapters. You could read these four books from the Apostle Paul about joy. You could read them all in about 15 minutes. You could literally go home and quickly read through them, the, the books of joy, in about 15 minutes. But what's absolutely unbelievable about these four books is the person, the writer, and the process that went into making these books about joy. Like if we had video cameras and we followed the Apostle Paul around and you documented his life. It's like, all right, come on, HBO. We're going we're gonna to go follow this guy. We're going we're gonna to watch his life. And then we're going to sit down in a room and we're going to decide, wow, what can we say about the Apostle Paul's life? Nobody in the room is like, you know what I think we should say? Joy. <laughs> and I'm going to get through the statistics about why. Because of all the turmoil and all the persecution and all of the things that you endured, you don't look at his landscape and say, man, that guy, what we should say about his life, he's got to write something about, about joy because, man, he, no, because most of the time wasn't on display in the sense of his circumstances. You wouldn't look at his surroundings and his circumstances and say, wow, look at all the joy. He's got it going for him. He's got a lot to be happy about. Because it, it wasn't about his circumstances. It was about what was happening on his inside. N none of you like that point. It was the work that the Lord was doing on the inside of him that he was able to be joyful about. Are you with me? So the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter to the Philippian church in Philippi. Now, this is cool because it's a church plant. So the Apostle Paul, he's in jail when he's writing these four letters, or this letter, these four books, chapters, however you want to call it in our American culture. But as he's, as he's writing... Uh, Philippians, he's writing it to a church plant, which is cool because we are. And they say it's about two years old. And so he's writing from jail. This is the first just what? So he's writing from jail to this church plant, uh, which he started, you know, a few years ago. And he's writing to them and, and he's giving them these words. But here's the place that he's writing from. It's a first century jail. Now we think jail, literally in your mind right now, when I say jail, you think cot, you think toilet, you know, you think a cell. You have to understand the first century jail, and you could look it up, but what you have to understand is this is basically more so a pit that has been dug into a bad place of land. You have to understand that, that land is valuable in this time. Land, of course, it's valuable now, but, but it's really commodity. So it's not like they're going to say, hey, you know, we should put that jail uh, in a good part of town where people can get to it and we can do a lot of... No, they were like, where's the worst parts of land? And we'll dig holes there and we'll stick people in those places. And this is where he finds himself. What's amazing about Paul is he wasn't a loser. He wasn't like a, oh, uh, you know, I guess I got nothing else going for me in my life. I'm going to just start to follow God. No, this was a very well-off man. Before he comes to Christ and before he starts preaching the gospel, you would have looked at him as a, as a Harvard grad, as somebody who has it all put together, and he finds himself basically dug in the ground or the side of a hill. And think about this jail. It's rock. It's mud. There's no light. The scripture says he's chained. Now, here's the other thing. 
his sewage and probably even other sewages exist in the place that he's at. What I'm trying to say is there's no, there's no flushing, right? Are, are, you, are you with me? He's in this insane place undeservedly as, is what you also need to understand. Because we get in circumstances where we get all upset with God and we get all, set up, all, all mad in our situations and we say, but God, I did this and I don't deserve this and where are you? And da, da, da. It's possible to be in a situation that you didn't even deserve and still have joy, which we'll get to in a minute. Are you with me? So sewage, he's in there and it smells and it's terrible. Another horrible thing about this place that he's in is the history teaches us that one of the ways that they executed their prisoners, which Paul is being held uh, as the highest level of criminal, even though he wasn't, he's being held that way. So the way that they treat him, talk about him, interact with him as if he is the worst of the worst. And the location that he's being held, one of the ways that they execute their prisoners is they literally just threw them off the side of the hill to their death. So that means at some point, Paul is in this room hearing people talk like, hey, go get this one. What about tomorrow? Should we do that one tomorrow? This one the next day? Who's in the next batch? What should we do with the Paul guy? Are we throwing him off? Are we cutting his head off? What are we doing with it? Imagine that. The things that are running through his head, the and we have, well, they talked about me. And we start replaying that in, my head, in our heads. Well, they said it's kind of nice, not nice thing. I didn't get the promotion, and now that's running through. Were you hearing people thrown off the hill? Christmas, joy to the I, You guys are getting it today, right? I know it's what you came for. So he's in this place, hearing them talk and hearing all of these things happen. The other thing that we think when we hear, Paul wrote to us from jail, we think like, Modern jail, where all of a sudden he's sitting on the cot and his friends had come by and given him a nice moleskin journal. And he's all, all right, let's write. No, you didn't get time like that. He's sitting in sewage in a hole in the ground in the dark trying to figure out how I need to write to this church that I love. I need to make sure that they hear. So we find this Philippians chapter one. This is the beginning of those writings. And in verse three, this is what he says to them. He says, I thank my God Every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. What? I love this church. I love you guys. Right. And, and, I, and, I, and I was a part of, you know, we planted this church. And so if I'm sitting in that cell and I'm in those circumstances falsely and I get to paper I'm not going like, okay, what do we want to say to them? Okay, let's start it. Dear Vertical, I think I'm thinking about you so highly. <laughs> Wonder what you're doing. To, it's, I don't know if it's sunny or not sunny because I'm in a hole in the... <laughs> and by the way, I just, of all the things I have going on, I just really want you to know that I'm praying for you with joy today. I would be sending letters that's like freaking find me yesterday. <laughs> How have you not blown this place up? Is there not Hitman? Like, I look, and he's like, what should we say? Just, you guys need to know I'm praying for you with joy. It's like the Ross scene in Friends, is how I would read this if I got that. Where something happens to Ross, I don't know, I don't pay attention, but he goes, I'm fine. You guys know that scene? 
no, really, I'm fine. All of this, it's not, it's fine, I'm fine. That's how I would read this if I'm those people. Wait a minute, you're in this and, and you're writing a letter that's like, I pray for you at you, I'm fine. No, no, you, you should be going crazy. If it was you, if it was me, you would be writing. The first thing you would sit down and do is you would complain about your circumstances, actually what you would do. I'm here. And they're throwing people off the thing. And I have no, and you guys are all out there. How come no one's come for me? Wouldn't we? We'd be complaining and murmuring and backbiting and, right? Instead, he's, hey, guess what? I'm praying for you and I'm praying for you with joy. Maybe because he has an understanding that God is in control despite our circumstances. Are you with me? What's amazing about him is he understands what it is like to have a bad day. He understands what it is to live a life where joy is attempted to be robbed from him. The amazing thing about Paul is uh, three times in his life, he uh, received the 39 stripes of the Jews. I was going to actually bring you historical pictures, but it's, it's very graphic and not worth it in December. But three times in his life, uh, he received this whipping. There's no record of anybody else receiving it as many times as Paul. So three times he gets these, it's a whipping, it's a beating, it's a lashing. Three times he experienced that. But also three times he had beating uh, of the rod, which is basically uh, not quite as thick as a baseball bat, but pretty much these sticks where he would be put in, in, in center and, and they would just beat on him and beat on him, sometimes to death and then sometimes to, to, to release. Three times he experienced that. Uh, one time his sentence was to be, uh, put unto death by way of stoning. And so literally, this guy, Paul, was, was given the execution order of get put in town center and be thrown so many stones and rocks to the point uh, that basically the ending of the stoning would be uh, when the person had been so beaten by stone, they were then buried in stone. Uh, buried in stone unto death. But for Paul, he comes out of this, breaks through the stones, gets out of this, whew, you know what I should do? I should write a letter about joy. <laughs> I'm going to make sure people thousands of years from now really hear about joy. And then he was also twice shipwrecked, which you can put yourself in that situation in Michigan because you've been in the, in the lake. Twice he was shipwrecked. One of the times he was shipwrecked, the scripture says, he went all night and a day, all night and a day, shipwrecked out at sea. Now, I don't know if you're like me. I grew up swimming. I grew up in the lake. We had a pool, all those kinds of things. Like, I love the water. I'm very natural in the water. But you know what I don't like to do? Stand in water when you can't see <laughs> what that thing is. Now imagine being out at sea in the dark, in the night, all night long, shipwrecked. Here we go again, God. All I've been doing is faithfully following you serving you from town to town, giving myself for your message. Are you with me? Shipwreck, shipwreck, all this stuff keeps going wrong, all these things he keeps enduring, and yet something boils out of his heart that's like, you know what I need to do? Make sure they get these letters about joy. It's unbelievable, isn't it? He's saying 3,000 years later, or however much longer, 4,000, 5,000, as this thing goes on, I want to make sure that the believer of the American church understands that they can have joy. 
which is hilarious because if he showed up on our scene and saw our persecutions, he'd be like, maybe I wasted my letter. They don't even need to know about joy. They have everything, wouldn't he? Why would I talk to them about joy? They have abundance. They have cars. They have houses. They have houses for their cars called their garages. They walk through their closets and put their hands all over hundreds of wardrobes and say, I got nothing to wear. We got nothing to do. And you have Netflix and videos and purchases and music. You got all of these afflictions. He wouldn't show up on our scene and be like, you need to know about joy because it's bad for you. Like the pastor expects you to serve in church. Like you're sitting in heaven. I can't do it. But anyway. He says, you got to know about this joy. You have to understand that circumstances, no matter what happens, no matter who leaves you or what changes, circumstances will not define your joy. Are you with me? So Acts chapter 20 is awesome because it's also written by somebody who's observing Paul. They're following Paul's life. Acts chapter 20, uh, this uh, writer is named Luke, and, and he actually, much of his writings come from the way that he's observing how Paul lives. And so Acts chapter 20, uh, we see this. It says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing he's, this is of Paul. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Chains and tribulations await me. We sit here on Saturday night and be like, are we going to church? Look at it. It's like sleeting. Should we go? The sleet and the gray await me in the morning. Should we go? The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, chains and tribulations await me. And he says this, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. He's saying, it's not about me anyway. It doesn't matter what my preferences are. So that I may finish my race with joy. Doesn't matter what's coming to me, going to happen to me. It doesn't matter what I face in front of me. The bottom line is this. It's not about me anyway. It's about accomplishing what God has for me with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, Paul's able to say, hey, none of these things, none of them moved me. None of these things affected me. I wonder if we could look at all of the circumstances in our lives, all of the things that we came up short on or didn't work out for us and didn't go the way we wanted it to go. I wonder if we could look back on all those and say, all of those things, none of those moved me. For him, he's talking about shipwrecks and beatings and abandonments and death sentences. He's saying, none of these. Why? Because the Spirit of God is holding me and moving me onto my next thing. And he's like, I'm, that's all I need. Are you with me? Again, the observer of Paul, he writes this. This is James 1, verse 2. He says this, consider it pure joy, not fake joy, not forced joy, not joy because we think it's the right thing to do in the right situation. Pure joy, real joy in this circumstance, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, whenever the opportunity for you to lose your joy comes, consider it pure and real joy whenever these things come. Why? 
because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let the perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Don't we all want to be mature, complete, and lacking nothing? Then consider it joy when you face a trial. I would love to get up to here and say, here's how you have joy, joy, just sprinkling the glitter joy on everybody. But consider it joy. One of the ways that we get joy is when we face trials that we don't understand. When we thought it was going to be this and it becomes this. And we say, wait a minute, this is a trial. I can consider this joy. Why? Because this will produce something that's perfect and lacking nothing in my life. Consider a joy. Here's the problem. In the American church, we sell happiness, but God sells hope. Preachers try to get up here and say, this will make you happy. This is how God will make you happy. This will make you happy. This will make you happy. And we believe that right standing with God is somehow connected to our happiness. And it's not true. God says you can have hope. You can have hope. Have hope. Have hope. Despite what you're seeing, despite what you're walking through, despite what's changing, guess what you can still have? Hope. Why? Because God is in it and Christ is in it. And it doesn't matter what it looks like or how it doesn't. It, all that matters, we're not here to sell happiness. We're here to sell hope that comes from Christ. But we get so tied to our happiness, how we feel, how it makes me feel. Are you with me? So again, Paul says again, recorded by James in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The outside doesn't matter. The inside is what matters. Let me read it again. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, our circumstances, our actual physical life is, is changing. But inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So if we fix our eyes on what is seen, if we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen, since what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's saying all of these natural circumstances that you look at and I look at, all of these natural things that we make our joy decisions based on, these outward things and these circumstances. And it says right here, these light and momentary troubles that come into our life that we let steal all our joy. It's saying that's the wrong perspective. The right perspective is what's happening eternally, what's happening on the inside of me, and what's happening in the kingdom of God. Well, you don't understand. We wanted by now to be able to do this, and we want to do that, and that person said they were going to do this, and they didn't, and da, da, da. Light and momentary trouble. Light and momentary trouble. I'm sorry you didn't get the promotion. I'm sorry that this thing didn't go this way that you wanted it to in your perfect little world. Light and momentary. What's happening eternally? on the inside of you that's working you toward what God has for you forever. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. We base everything on external. I know you wanted me to preach a series right now that I could tell you how to be happy on the outside. But I'm telling you the deep dive work on the inside. What's the hard thing that you have to do to get it on the inside? Then do that. Are you with me? Everybody comes into my office all upset. Oh, life's going wrong. This happened, that happened. And they describe external situations. 
Nobody ever sits down in my office and say, hey, I got this thing going on. Let me first start by what's happening on the inside. And I'm working on this and I'm doing it on the... No, going through crisis and you sit down and you talk about, on the outside, on the outside, in this circumstance, in this light and momentary. Da, 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 da. Okay, but what's God saying? What's the word showing you on our inside? Because that's where joy comes from. Amen. Joy is based on Christ. Psalm 16, verse 11 says this. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Where does joy come from? God's presence. Not circumstances, not situations, not even God's blessings. It comes from being in him. Let me read it to you again. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy where? In your presence. Being with him in the place that we need to be. Amen. And then back into Philippians. I know I'm being mean on Christmas, but call me the Grinch. I don't care. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1. We're going to continue. Back, we're back into Philippians now. We're picking back up on the beginning of these letters. So then he says this. After, after, after saying, hey, guys, by the way, this is what I want you to know from this jail cell. I read you the first part. We're picking it back up here in verse 6. He says this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it until the day of Christ. Will carry it to completion. You say, look, here's why I can pray for joy for you. In this circumstance, here's why I can be joyful. Because guess who's going to do the work? Whether I'm in jail or not in jail. Whether I'm with you or not with you. Whether it's working the way you wanted it to work or not working the way you wanted it to work. Whether it's going the way you saw it going or not going the way you saw it going. Guess who's the author and finisher of it anyway? Christ. Therefore, I can be joyful. Because guess what? The pressure is not on me. And the pressure is not on you. And the pressure is not on you. Guess who the pressure is on? Christ, the author and the finisher. He's faithful. He'll complete the work. It doesn't matter that I'm here in this cell, in this jail. Why? Because it's God who does the work anyway. And therefore, I can pray with joy for you. You say, what does that mean for my everyday? That sounds nice, blah, blah, blah. What does that mean for my everyday? What it means for your everyday is when you're pissed and you're stressed and you're anxious and you're over it. You get to sit down and pick up your Bible and say the same thing, which is this. God, I'm praying with joy today. You loved that, didn't you? God, I'm praying with joy today. I'm praying with joy today because guess what? You're faithful to complete this. You started this work. It's on you. I have no idea how it's going to work. No idea. And I'm annoyed with it. And I might even be mad. But I can have joy. I can be like, you know what? This will be fine. Because guess who's the author and finisher? And guess who's the one who completes the work? You do. It's not up to me. Here's what's crazy. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. Guess who's not God? You. Or me. Isn't that crazy? Or this church, or the stat, no, nobody. Guess who's in control, and guess who's God? God is God, and he's the completer of it. Are you with me? So he says this, being confident that God is the completer, because he understands this. Happiness happens by chance. Joy happens by choice, knowing where it comes from and who's in control. Happiness is 
all the right things have to happen, right? For us to be happy, this has got to happen here, and that can't happen there, and this can't happen here. Happiness, if we just are waiting for everything to be right, that's by chance. Joy can be found by choice being in God. Amen. Five more minutes. Philippians chapter 1, continuing. Verse 9 through 11, he says this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth and insight. And he says this, so that you may be able to discern. I underlined that in my notes, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The question is this, when you are tempted to lose your joy and to fall to anxiety and to do all those things, my question to you is, are you just looking at all of the circumstances, all of the things that didn't go the way you wanted to, or are you able to step back and discern? That's the writing here that Paul is saying. He's saying, look, Love, I want it to abound more. I want you to have more, do- more knowledge, more depth, more insight. Why? So that you can look at circumstances and be able to just discern them. Not react to them. Not respond. And God wants us to be so in him that we're able to look at it and discern what's truly happening. You guys don't like that one either, but that's fine. So my point number one is this. What are you discerning? In your circumstances, in your trials, in your tribulations, in your light and momentary afflictions, are you taking the time to stop and say, what can I discern in this? What can the Spirit of God show me in this instead of just reacting? Are you with me? Verse 12, he keeps writing. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So because he, being who he was, I would actually make this argument, that Paul, second to Jesus, was probably the most hated gospel communicator. Uh, Most arrests, most things happened to him, all these kinds of things. Why? Because they didn't like the message that Jesus was bringing because it was flipping the religious upside down and all of the other things. And I believe that, that Paul was just right behind that as well. And so all of these things. And so what's happening here is these people, these Christ followers here, that he's now locked up with no way out, facing death. And they're saying, oh, no, we got to step up. So there's a group of people saying, like, because of that, it's we got to go now. Are you with me? Because that's happening to that, that means over here, I got to rise up. I got to take. And so, so that's what you're seeing right here is, and again, to me, he's being Ross. He's over here going, you know, I've looked at it, and uh, this is good. I'm fine. <laughs> he's doing the I'm fine stuff still. He's, I've looked at it, and it looks like it's better. It is better. That, but it is. Everybody's rising up. And so that's what you see taking place. He's discerning, back to my point number one. He's discerning that good can come from things not going his way. You guys like that one? (laughs) He's discerning that good can come from things not going the way that he wanted to. At some point for Paul, he's walking along a road that God called him to. And he's walking and he's being obedient and he's going from this town to that thing to this thing. And it doesn't turn out the way he thought it was going to. 
He has every right to be mad. And, da, 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 and da. instead, he discerns, hey, you know what? I know I was supposed to do that, but I'm looking at this with discernment, and I'm realizing that even though good is not, it's not going the way I wanted it to, good is coming from it. I wonder how many times in our life we've had the maturity to be able to say, I realize that this is not the way that I want it, but I can discern the good that's coming from it. That's spiritual maturity that Paul's trying to teach us. Are you with me? Yeah. Verse 15. I'll actually pause you. What, what's happening here is the good is coming from it. People are preaching the gospel uh, on account of inspiration of what's happening. But then there's actually some jokers because there's some religious people who do things out of wrong intention. And I'm going to read that to you here in a minute. But there becomes a group of people who know where Paul was supposed to go, the people Paul was supposed to see, the places he was supposed to, and they start jumping, they're religious people with their interpretation of the Torah and all the meaning. And so what they end up start doing out of selfish ambition is they basically start working hard to jump in on his gigs. Like we know he's supposed to go here and go there. And so out of selfish gain, they start saying things about him and they start going and getting in position where they can gain from his absence. So let's read it here, verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here, that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And then he says this, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. He has joy again. All of his work, all the things that he did, and people are coming in and moving in on it, and he's discerning, and he's looking at it, and he's saying, you know what? Is Christ being preached? Is the gospel going forward? Are people being saved? Are they hearing? Then he says this, then what does it matter if it didn't go the way I wanted it to go? He's like, what does it matter? People are being reached. People are being healed. People are hearing the gospel. What does it matter if it's me or you or that or this? Are you with me? But in church, we make it all matter. Got to sing like that. We got to preach like this. He's got to do it like this. It's got to be him. Can't be them. Are you with me? Is the gospel, go oh, look at that outreach group. Can you believe they're just giving away hot dogs and handouts to those people? The, is the gospel going forward? What does it matter? Consider it all joy that the message is going forward. He's rejoicing. What does it matter? Well, look at Kanye. Oh, he's preaching. Look at all those people coming to Kanye. Who cares if it's Joel or if it's Kanye? If it's TD or if it's, I don't care. Are you with me? Is the gospel going forward? It doesn't matter if it's me or the next guy or is it John or is it, it doesn't matter. Is the gospel going forward? Then that's what we rejoice in. Are you with me? Same thing in our lives. You got to use discernment to say, what does it matter? Oh, I didn't get the promotion. Okay, what does it matter? Can't buy the next car? Can you still preach the gospel? Can you still love people? Well, I thought we were going to be able to, he said this, she said this. Okay, what does it matter? Do you still have the opportunity to preach the gospel? Do you still have the opportunity to love each other? Then rejoice. Are you with me? I'll close with this. He goes on to say this. 
Yes, I will continue to rejoice. It's doubling down on rejoicing. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Verse 21, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My third point would be this. With God, everything is a win-win. Everything is a win-win. If he answers your prayer and you get the promotion, if he moves in your life and you get the blessing and everything comes together the way that you want it to go, win. And if it doesn't and you still have the opportunity to be in Christ, win. I'll read it to you again. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I have this understanding through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Christ that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Like it'll turn out for what I need it to turn out to be. Why? Because if Christ does it, when? And he's just saying, if I die, if I get thrown off this hill, he's going, that's a win too. Because why? Because win-win in God. We see the victory both ways. That's why you can stand at a funeral and preach victory. Because to live and for God to move here and now is a win to be in Christ, but to also know that we have eternity in heaven is a win as well. Because with God, everything is a win-win. We're not found in our circumstances and our situations and our scenarios and all the things. Happiness, it's not external. It's internal. It's in this joy of knowing that in God, we always win. That's why Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. When does God's love stop for us? Never. Well, but what happens when this really bad thing, does God take a break from his love? No, no, no. Never ceases. It never stops. And it says this, his mercies never come to an end. No joy, and I have no life, and I have no. And I, and I, well, God's promise is that His love and His mercies will never come to an end in your life. So we have to get ourselves what back, like Psalm. We have to get back into God's presence. And then it says this in verse twenty-three, speaking of His mercies, they are new every morning, and great is Your faithfulness. The Scripture says, "Great is Your faithfulness." This is a horrible example, but I'm going to use it anyway. His faithfulness is not sporadic. The scripture is saying great is your faithfulness. It's not hit and miss and kind of there and not there. Like I imagine it like Wi-Fi or cell phone coverage. Do you got it? I kind of got it now. I don't have it now. I don't know. How many have ever said that about your wife? Oh, no. Yeah, we got to go to that coffee shop. That Wi-Fi is great. <laughs> we can depend on it. That thing is in the bank. That Wi-Fi is solid. It's a horrible example of this. But it's this, what, what is God's faithfulness? It is on point always, despite our circumstances, despite it not going the way we thought it was gonna go, despite that person not being what they thought they'd be or the news you're gonna hear, it, it doesn't matter because what? His mercies are new every day and great is his faithfulness. Our happiness doesn't come from circumstances and people and situations. Our happiness is found in the presence of God 
and it living on our insides. Amen. So this week for you and for me, we will consider it joy when we face a trial. This week, when you hit a trial, when you hit an opportunity to lose your joy, when you get the news or you hear the word or you have somebody say that thing to you, when that comes into your life and you have the opportunity to lose your joy, you say, no, no, no. I'm considering this joy. This trial is not an end. It's not a defeat. It's an opportunity for me to be perfected, lacking nothing in God. Because his love never ceases. Seasons come and go. People come and go. But his love never ends. His mercies are new every single day. Circumstances are not where we find joy. We find joy in the presence and being of Christ. Are you with me?